Thank you, God. Father, I just thank you for this man of God, Lord. And Father, I appreciate that the, he wants to be relevant for the times in which he's living, Lord. So we pray for your special anointing upon him. Father, continue to give him the right words for the right time, mm. Lord, because uh, you didn't save the best wine till last. You saved the best wine till now. So help us to all live in the now. Yeah. And I just invite your Holy Spirit to be here in the now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You know, as, as I was watching the announcements, I was reminded of yesterday, we went over to uh, do some shopping at Trader Joe's in Medford, and everything is seasonal there. I had no idea they had pumpkin-flavored potato chips. No, I think that's disgusting, but that's just me. How many ways can we hide squash? Just saying. But my wife bought these chips that look like fall leaves, and she took them with this salsa that's supposed to taste like pumpkin, maybe, Thanksgiving. I don't know. What, what was it, honey? Pumpkin. Pumpkin. kind of Yeah, yeah. So she takes it over to our... Our uh, kids, our grandkids last night, and it, they found it disgusting too, so. <laughs> so if you want to bless me, no pumpkin pies. The whipped cream's good, but. Oh, I just had to throw that out there. You know, we have been talking about returning to the Word. We went to Ezra. Now, this is just a short little recap. I don't do this a lot. If you want to catch up on the notes, go to the website and watch it, listen to it, whatever. But we're, we've been in this moment of returning to the Word. We went to Ezra. We went to Nehemiah, where when, ne when Ezra read the Word, people just repented and people came back to the truth, the Word of God. And last week, we talked about things like nationalism and patriotism, and Max gave a beautiful, uh, I think, perspective on some of this stuff that we're wrestling with today. But at the end of the day, you and I are citizens, if we're believers in Jesus, we have to understand that we are citizens of another kingdom, that we are sojourners, we are pilgrims passing through this world. But yet, God calls us to be Jesus in the flesh, so to speak, and in and through our flesh, we have to be the ones that speak Jesus to the world that we're in. He calls us to be in it, but not of it. So how do we interface with what's going on in the world and not get caught in it, but at the same time preach the message that Jesus was preaching? I think for years and years and years, this is kind of my perspective, we have been preaching a gospel of salvation, which is true. But for the most part, we're in this moment where you really need to get your head and your heart around the idea and the concept and the reality of what Jesus really taught. Yes, Jesus come, did come to save. Honey, can I get a water bottle? Did come to save. But Jesus also came to set captives free. Jesus also came to change the environment to change the world. That's what he came for. And, and, and Jesus also came and he talked about being and bringing the presence of the kingdom of God into the here and now. 
So there is a gospel of salvation and there is a gospel of the kingdom. And if we're going to move as kingdom citizens, we need to understand what that truly means. That needs to be woven into our hearts. And, and I'll be honest, if you've come from a more of an evangelical background, you grew up hearing nothing but the gospel of salvation. That's what you heard. I remember growing up sitting in a pew where I was challenged to just sit and not do, don't run with those that drink and chew, yeah. just sit there and be a good boy. Sit on that bench until Jesus comes back. Don't put your foot out there because you'll get caught in the wind and you'll be sucked into the abyss and it'll all be over. And I remember sitting there in church watching my friends ride their dirt bikes past the church. And I'm just like, something wasn't right with this picture. John Wimber was quoted as saying, look, I used to do the devil's stuff. When do I get to do God's stuff? We read about all these miraculous things going on and everything that's happening in the Bible, but when do we get to do that stuff instead of just listening and hearing about some preacher up there going, sit there and wait for Jesus to come. By the way, here's a few stories to make you feel comfortable, you know, whatever, and just wait because the Jesus bus is coming. Now, I grew up with that gospel of salvation mentality that I'm saved, I'm good. I'm good, I'm saved. Once saved, always saved. I'm, woo, I'm in. That was not good. Was not good. Then I realized there was a journey to the cross. That's the gospel of salvation. This is how I look at it. And then beyond that is that journey beyond the cross. That is the gospel of the kingdom. And when my heart began to embrace that there was so much more, it radically altered the trajectory of my life forever. That's the reason I stand here today. My wife and I got into a moment, we sold everything we had, we were all in. I'm not saying this is the course you have to take, this is our story. We sold everything we had, and we jumped in with everything we had to follow Jesus, because we wanted to experience that radical, that radical middle that Jesus walked in. We wanted to experience that radical kingdom experience where we moved in the presence of God. Not just sat on a bench and waited for a bus to come and pick us up and take us home. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10 for a moment. It's so interesting today in the world that we live in. You can <clears throat> hear pages turning. Hear that sound? Sounds like raindrops falling. I love it. And then you can also see people's faces lighting up. <laughs> As, as on their phone, they have 14,000 translations. That's cool, too. That's cool, too. As long as you're not looking on Facebook and, and typing in commentary. Anyhow, interesting story. Uh, verse 11, Acts 10. Peter falls into a trance. Now, I'm going to kind of verbatim go through this for a moment. But here's Peter. And I'm going to make a point here in a second. But here's Peter. He went up on the roof to pray which is real common in, 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 in that part of the Middle East. They'd go up on the rooftop. It was cooler. They could go up there, and they could have lunch. They could eat. They could meet. So he goes up on the rooftop, and, it's, and, and it says, he, the word tells us that Peter falls into this trance. Has anyone here ever experienced falling into a trance? Interesting. Yeah, some of us. That's awesome. 
He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. So he sees what appears to be a sheet being let down to the earth. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then the voice said to him or told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. What's Peter's first response to this incredible revelation? No. But Peter always responded with no. Everywhere Peter went, it was no, no. But no, Lord, no. How many of us are so quick to say no when something new enters into our paradigm? Yeah, thank you. Honest hand back, a couple honest hands with He says, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, note, it didn't happen just once. It happened three times. Duh, Peter, come on. Three times. Peter, a devout Jew, he objected because he was taught. His theology or his doctrine told him that the creatures on the sheet were unclean. His thinking, his training, everything that was ingrained in him told him, no. But yet, this is this incredible moment. He's in a trance. So really, the vision was repeated three times. I believe it was because the message of the vision was more challenging for him to, to believe than the miraculous event itself. Think about that. How many times in your life have you been stopped for a moment when it's like this major interruption comes in your life and your whole paradigm about what you think about God has been challenged? How many know that one? Thank you. You go along and then all of a sudden you're challenged. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. But what, hold on a minute. Because so-and-so said or Bob said or Sally said or they preached that or on this podcast what does the Word of God say? We return to the Word of God and we find the truth. Then we go, oh, because it's the knowing of that truth is what sets us free. So we're no longer held in these religious boxes. And you know, I'm going to quicken up the story here because this isn't my main point. But the point here is that the vision prepared Peter to be willing to go to the house of a Gentile. His name was Cornelius, who was a Gentile, who was forbidden to associate with. Do you see what God was doing? God all of a sudden was changing the whole thing around. And he used a vision, but it challenged, it challenged Peter's thinking. I wrote here, we become so locked in our religious traditions and personal preferences that when God speaks or when God moves through unfamiliar visions, dreams, words, or voices, we can prematurely reject them before receiving the revelation those events bring. No. Not going to happen on my watch. Then you go around the mountain again until you finally go, oh. Listen, the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom are one of those moments. I know a lot of people today that I engage with that are at this point where they, they don't want to buy into, they don't want to think of it, they don't want to believe about the gospel of the kingdom and that message and all that it contains. It's very challenging. 
Now, they're all in on the gospel of salvation, and they just say, that's all we need to be concerned with. It's just bringing the gospel of salvation. Do you know Jesus? No. Would you like to invite him into your heart? I guess so. And then they lead him to Jesus. That's a great moment. It says in God's word that when, a, when someone gives their heart to Jesus, that every, everyone in heaven is going, whoa That's true. But there's so much more. And we, as a remnant people, if that's who we really are, we need to understand where we're at in this moment. Remember, Scripture is designed to bring revelation, not just a bunch of information. We shared that. And, and revelation is the only thing that has the potential to break into the prison of our minds that are held captives by all of these lies and deceptions, and even bad theology. Amen? So no one's left the room yet, so we're good. So at the end of the day, let me ask you a question. Does theology matter? How many say yes? Good, good. I'm done. I'll go home now. No. For thousands and thousands of years, Christians, I wrote here, have studied the Bible to discover more about God, who is the central figure of this magnificent plot. Amen? And what we think about God and what we believe He is doing in the world truly does affect our everyday lives. In fact, it, His plan that He has for each and every one of us is a matter of ultimate importance to every human being on the planet. Do you know that God has a plan and God has a purpose for each and every one of your lives? He does. If you don't know that, if you don't understand that, if you don't have your head and heart around that, you're going to be just sitting on a pew, sitting on the bench, waiting for the Jesus bus to come, missing out on what God has called you to do. He has a plan and he has a purpose for each and every one of us. So knowing about God and knowing about his purpose for the world is what theology really is all about. At the end of the day, in the simplest form, theology is the study of God. As one author put it, it's, it's, it's faith-seeking understanding. We want to know who God is, and we want to experience God. We want to feel His presence. We want to know Him intimately. How many desire that? I, I was watching you guys from the back today, and when we got to that song, I Speak Jesus, that is a powerful song. If you can understand what you're saying in those words, I speak Jesus. I speak the words and I speak the purposes of Jesus forth. When I come up to you and I say, you are a mighty man of valor, or you are a virtuous woman of God, I'm speaking what Jesus is saying about you. So learning to know Jesus and becoming like him, I wrote, is the goal of the Christian life. We, most of us know that. And if we truly want to be like Jesus, we have to understand. We have to get our head and our heart around the most, over, the most important overarching integrated message about this world, and that is his message of the kingdom of God. Can you articulate his message of the kingdom of God? Some of you I can because you're factory trained here. I know that. <laughs> But some of you, this is new. And, and if you've heard this before along these lines, just bear with me. Because there's some here who need to hear this. Need to get their heads and their hearts around it. Turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. These are incredibly powerful words. It says, Jesus, 
went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. The time has come. He's saying the time has come. Now is the moment. This is the time. The time has come and it's now. He wasn't saying future, present, past, perfect, will have had been. He's, he's, not, he, he's simply saying now is the time. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In this context, this word repent means to change your way of thinking. The time has come for you to change your way of thinking. The kingdom has come. So from the moment Jesus shows up in Israel... He begins to proclaim the reality of what he called the kingdom of God. Now, he did this through stories. He did this through metaphors, miracles, and healings. Jesus was always demonstrating the kingdom in some way, shape, or form. And Jesus sends out one of the most important declarations in that moment of time to anyone within earshot who will listen, including today. And that is the kingdom of God is breaking into the world, and it's going to change, and is changing everything. It's almost as if he's saying, and he is, that the future of God's plans are here now. So to kind of get your head and heart around what Jesus meant by this phrase, we have to understand what a kingdom is. Now, Probably in our Western worldview, we would think of a kingdom as something like an empire where kings and queens rule and reign, kind of like England, where there's monarchies. But listen, a regent over a kingdom is someone who has the authority in that kingdom. It's some, a regent is someone who has all the power of the king. The king's absent. The king is in somewhere today. Let's say we're in a country, and the king went on a trip to Saudi Arabia, I don't know, somewhere. And you're the regent. God has put you, the king has put you in that place of authority. But you're acting on behalf of the king, and you carry all the authority, you carry all the rule and the reign that the, that the king has given to you. We're in that moment. So what did he mean when Jesus said that God has a kingdom, and it has come near? Jesus, let me put it this way, um, the kingdom of God as Jesus spoke about it was not limited to a physical city. It wasn't limited to a country, a landmass, some geographical location. No, the kingdom of God as Jesus was speaking it, as Jesus is talking about it, really came down to this. It is and will always be the dynamic reign of God over heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible as well. He's just saying, all of that has broken into this here and now. Okay? For the ancient Jews, the idea of, of the kingdom of God was nothing new. In fact, it was, they, had this, they had this Davidic kingdom concept, and it was an accepted theological reality in their circles. It was taught by the prophet Isaiah. Turn uh, to Psalms 24. Verses 8 and 10, or you can mark them, whatever. But again, prophets like Isaiah, he taught and the people of Israel believed that God is the one true king. 
and that God it was the creator of the world. David writes this in Psalms 24, 8 through 10. He says, who is the king of glory? The Lord is strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Notice verse 9. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who, who is he, the king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. And, and, and the ancient Israelites, they held to this belief that as king, he rules the cosmos. As king, he will one day express that rule and reign fully on earth through an, a selected anointed one, the Messiah. This is something they believed. They didn't have a hard time, under, they didn't have a hard time with, with kingdom theology. Isaiah 61, 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. So again, they believed that there was coming a day. And on that day, God's people Israel would be delivered from their oppressors. They would be brought home from exile and the world would be set to rights once again and brought under that shalom peace of God. They believed that. They waited for that. I wrote here, God's anointed king will rule the people of the world with justice, mercy, and love. This was a day for which they had hoped for. This was a day that they had prayed for. And this was a day that they had persevered for. So this was, this was in their theology. So it happens. It happens in Luke. And we read this story. Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 4. Verses 16 through 20, and I'm going to kind of move through this quickly, but here we have Jesus, a simple carpenter's son, born a Jew. And as a young man, he steps forward in a synagogue to read the Old Testament. He chooses a revered text that speaks of the anointed king to come. This comes from what Isaiah taught. It comes from Isaiah 61. Verse 14 Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Note that. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and he read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. This is powerful. This is the moment it happened. This is the moment that heaven began to break into earth. God's rule and God's reign began. It's important we understand that. Began. It was inaugurated at this moment. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue, they're probably going, what is this Jesus? What's this guy doing? And Jesus goes over and he says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh my goodness. That was the moment. 
the kingdom of heaven. What was their first reaction? They wanted to stone him. They didn't recognize that the kingdom was inaugurated in their very presence. They didn't recognize, they didn't see, they didn't have the revelation that Jesus was the one. It had started. Jesus was declaring himself to be the anointed king for whom they had been waiting. He would proclaim in word and deed throughout his life that God's kingdom was truly among him. In word, not just this, but also in deed. He would demonstrate that kingdom. He would demonstrate that kingdom with signs, wonders, and the transformation of every life that Jesus touched. Then by death on the cross, he would offer himself up, as Isaiah 53 tells us, the suffering servant for the sins of humanity. By his resurrection from the dead, we read in Luke 24 that God would verify that Jesus was indeed the true king of the world. Remember that story? Jesus is in the tomb. The ladies are coming with the spices and everything to prepare him for final burial. And as they're coming, the tomb doors open. They step in and Nothing but crickets. I don't do a good cricket sound, so sorry. <laughs> so they're looking, and all of a sudden, these two angelic beings are standing, and they're going, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. That was God's sign, that this is who he is. That was God's sign. He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you he was going to do that when you guys were all still back in Galilee? It's happened. So, Jesus was inaugurating at that moment the rule and the reign of God on earth and God's purposes for the world, I wrote, from the beginning of creation would now begin to be realized through his life, through his ministry, through his words, and through his deeds. Stop, full stop. Let's, let, let, let's just get really real for a moment. One of the most challenging questions that confronts Christians and our faith is simply this. If Jesus really was who he said he was, if he is really the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, then why is this world still in such bad shape? Why does it seem as if it's all going there in a handbasket? You know the expression. I pray, Pastor, and nothing happens. I can't tell you how many times, Pastor, I've laid hands on the sick and nothing happens. I can't tell you how many times I prayed for someone who had cancer or who had some kind of illness and nothing happens. And if this Jesus stuff is all that, it certainly isn't because it, I don't see it happening. So you know what, Pastor? I'm going to take my football and I'm going home. I'm done. A lot of people are walking away from church today. There are people walking away from Jesus today. And it absolutely breaks my heart, but it's a valid question. And I think it has to do so much with bad theology. Why is there still so many wars? Why is there so much slaughter taking place around the world? Let, let's make this really simple. If Jesus is Lord, if he has all the power, and we have the Holy Spirit, 
and we have this powerful message called the gospel, then why aren't we more successful than we are? That's an honest statement. It's an honest question. Why? Again, I think it's time for us to have a new revelation. It's time for us to take the lens off that we've been looking through for so long. Why are there so many marriages on the rocks? Why is there so many supposedly church-going, Bible-believing Christians in such bad shape? Why do we see some Christian marriages end up in divorce? Why do we so, see so many children that have been raised in the church walk away, barely connected to the church? They don't want to hear anything we have to say, or very little. Why is that? Why are, we, why are so many churchgoers, I wrote here, living double lives, hopelessly addicted, unhappy, and unfulfilled? Thanks, Pastor. I didn't come here to get bummed out. <laughs> but it's a reality that we deal with, and I think it can be fixed. I think it can be repaired, but it's going to come through a revelation. And we need to understand how to answer these questions. The bottom line is this. If Jesus is really true, and He's really risen, why isn't the truth more obvious? Why don't more people believe what we as believers believe? Why is not the world in a better shape if the Messiah really has come? Why is it that when I walk through Walmart, the crowds don't part? I don't hear the angelic voices. and people aren't just running to me going, I need Jesus. Why? <laughs> Have you ever wondered about this? Why aren't we seeing better results? <laughs> okay, everyone just left, so. <laughs> I think one of the most prevalent, one of the most amazing themes that runs throughout the Bible is that of the kingdom of God. And it is a very deep and it is a very uh, rich theological concept that we have to get our hearts around. John Wimber taught this from the ground up. He did. Kingdom theology. Understanding its importance, I wrote, <clears throat> understanding it is important because of its centrality, not only to the ministry and the teachings of Jesus, but really to the centrality of the entirety of God's Word. God's Word is all about a kingdom that's coming with a king that's going to set everything right and straight. But it has already begun. You know, the Bible says a lot about the kingdom of God. There's something like 90 verses if you do a study about the kingdom of God that either relates to it, speaks directly to it. There's about 90 of it. Let me ask you another question. When Christians, I'm trying to get you to a point, get you thinking here deep for a moment. When Christians are praying this prayer that we pray a lot, it's in the Lord's Prayer. We pray these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as earth as it is in heaven. What, is, what are we praying when we say that? 
What are we praying? What are we really saying when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Very simply, I wrote, the kingdom of God is what things would be like if Jesus ran everything and his will was done everywhere. The kingdom of God is what things would be like if Jesus was fully in charge. That's why when I pray for people, I love to pray, as it is in heaven, let it be here on earth. I'm, I'm trying to create a, connect, a, a straight piece of conduit from heaven to earth. This convergence where heaven and earth meet, and that person experiences the presence of God. So when we say the kingdom has come, it's really really in a place where we really know that He, God, is running the entire show. But here's, here's one of the caveats to all of this. There is a secret that has been kept for all of eternity. Some of you may know this secret. Some of you may have never heard this before. But it's now being disclosed, not by me, but when Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of heaven, he began to disclose the secret of the kingdom of God. And that was that the kingdom of God is going to come in two stages. Two stages. This is, if you can get your head around this, it'll help eliminate some of the frustrations of why. First stage, Jesus comes, the kingdom's going to be hidden. This is why Jesus had to explain what the kingdom of God was like. Remember the sermons? The kingdom of heaven is like parables. Jesus spent a lot of time explaining because it was hidden. It wasn't right out in the open. It wasn't like, whoo, I see it all. It was mixed in with the weed and the tares. In the first stage I wrote, God's will doesn't displace every other will. We need to understand that. In the first stage of the, of the kingdom coming into the world, God's will is done, yes. But so is the will of sinful human beings. So is the will of Satan. Right now, God's allowing everybody's will to work. So right now, during this era, God's will doesn't always win the day. God's will can be resisted. God's will can be ignored. How many times have we ignored or resisted God's word? God tells us we need to go make peace with our neighbor. I ain't doing that. God's will tells us to do this. I ain't doing that. So we can resist God's will. That's a challenge to us personally. How many of us have resisted God's will in the past? How many times have we walked by somebody and God said through the Holy Spirit, you need to speak to that person? We go, I'm going to keep on walking. And this is where we live right now. We live in this tension of John Wimber calls it the now and the not yet of God's kingdom. We're in this moment of the now. The kingdom has been inaugurated. It's been ushered in. When Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, But yet to come in the second stage is the coronation where Jesus will return. In fact, in my notes, I put second stage. Jesus returns triumphantly. Jesus returns triumphantly. God's kingdom will be evident and open to all. When Jesus comes back completely, everyone's going to see. When the trumpet blasts and Jesus steps on the clouds or however he appears, it's going to be evident to all. The wheat and the tares will be separated. 
you will see who is with God and who is not with God. When Christ returns, there will be only room for one will to be done on earth, and that is the will of God. So the mystery of the kingdom is that the kingdom of God is here, but it has not replaced every other kingdom, like the kingdom in your own heart, where you rule and reign. We love to say, I know Jesus. Yeah, he's my savior, but is he your Lord? Do you submit to his authority? Do you submit to his will? Do you submit to his purposes for your life? Do you? Only you can answer that. I wrote here, yes, the will of God is being done. It is, and it happens. But so is the will of sinful men and women, and so is the will of Satan. We have to understand that where we're at right now in history. So in this age, it's as if we're running on parallel tracks, and there's going to come a day when Jesus returns when we're going to begin to run on a monorail, and our world is truly going to run on the will of God. Through Jesus' life and ministry, I wrote here, God's future world and its entire value system was breaking into our human experience. Using a theological phrase, we would call this inaugurated eschatology. Put simply, put simply, I wrote, this means that Jesus inaugurated, Jesus ushered in the gifts of God's future perfect world. And it's coming. But we're in the here and the now. Is this making sense? Any light bulbs going off, anything? So I wrote here, God's future kingdom where complete healing and justice and love will reign supreme for eternity was being brought into the present through the ministry of Jesus. George Ladd, he was a Baptist minister. He also was a professor at, uh, I believe it was a a professor of New Testament theology. He worked at the a Fuller Seminary, Theological Seminary, where John Wimber cut his teeth at. <clears throat> and he said this, in Jesus, humanity was experience, it was experiencing the presence of God's future. That's a beautiful expression. This is what it's going to be like. There will be no sickness. He heals people. This is what it's going to be like. There's no demonic oppression. He delivers people. There will be no chains that bind you up. You'll be totally free. Woohoo! And he broke people's chains. That's what Jesus did. That's what he was showing. He was demonstrating God's presence. God's, <clears throat> he, was, he was allowing humanity to experience the presence of God's future at that moment in time. So, I'm going to wrap this up here a little bit. The kingdom of God. God's rule and reign was being established by Jesus to not only proclaim the good news of God's plan, and that was to crush the works of Satan. That's very evident in 1 John 3, 8. But also to demonstrate the good news by healing the sick, by casting out demons, by offering radical forgiveness. Oh my goodness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do as they're torturing them on the cross. He extended compassion 
That's what moved him. That's what motivated him, it says in the Word. Every, everything he does when he starts to, to move into the miraculous, he's moved with compassion. And he certainly said about delivering the oppressed. So every active healing and wrote, every act of forgiveness, every action addressing poverty and true justice is a foretaste of God's kingdom that will come one day. And we get to walk in it now. We get to start this rolling now. God chose us for such a time as this. So how do we become these kingdom people? What does that look like? How do we become? And I'll kind of close with some of this. John Wimber said, kingdom is translated from the New Testament Greek word basilia, which implies an exercise of kingly rule or reign rather than simply establishing a geographic realm over which a king rules. The kingdom of God is a dynamic reign or <clears throat> rule of God. So when Jesus said that the kingdom of co has come, he declared himself to be this divine invader. That's what we are. We are invaders, and we get to break into people's space and place in a, in a good, wholesome way and to bring them the presence of God. That's how it should be, not screaming and yelling at them, but simply carrying this presence and having the words and, and being able to demonstrate with power and authority what that kingdom is really like. In other words, Jesus not only spoke the words about the kingdom, he went around Israel doing the works of the kingdom. We can speak a lot about the kingdom all day long, but are we demonstrating, are we actually doing the works that Jesus did? And Jesus was really set on destroying the works of the evil one that was bringing spiritual death and was bringing physical death and, and destruction to people. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time walking this earth relatively short in his moment, but he spent time. And really, at the end of the day, he had a message of good news. But he also had a ministry to back it up. Do you have a message and a ministry? Because that's what Jesus is calling you to, to not only carry the message, but to carry the ministry as well. Jesus set his heart to train his disciples. They became apprentices to do his work. John Wimber called that doing the stuff of the kingdom of God. How many of us want to do the stuff? A few of us? How many want to do the stuff? Oh, okay, good, yeah. <laughs> I just, my finishing notes. I believe that, that we as believers have been commissioned and empowered by the Spirit of God to do the works of the kingdom. But we have to understand what we're pushing against. Not every will is being, uh, right now, every will is being done, but God's will is not being fully, uh, is not fully in control. I hope you understand that. When you're wrestling with others and people, their, their will is still in control. And, and one of the challenges is, is your will still in control? Or have you submitted to God and his authority and his lordship? I wrote here, with Jesus, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring the presence of God's future to our streets to our neighborhoods, to our towns, to our cities, to the hospitals, to our workplace. I mean, you name it. Wherever we put our foot, we've been called to bring that sphere of influence that comes from being empowered to bring the message of the kingdom of God. God's going to be sending us all over the place. Are we doing it knowing whose we are? We're not 
part of this world. Yes and no. We're sojourners passing through. Let's not nail down our feet in one spot. Let's be open to revelation. Listen, I'm asking you this. Will you say yes to God? Will you become a person who truly wants to work with Jesus? Do you want to become a person who will demonstrate the power of God and to demonstrate that he truly is, in terms of the kingdom, near? Let's stand. I hope that made sense today. We've got, th- we've got to get this right, guys, or we're going to walk around with our wings clipped. And, and uh, I'm sorry, but there's a doctrine that's been taught for too long. There's been theology that's wrong that says that you're not, you're not supposed, you don't, all that stuff, miracles, that all stopped when the last apostle died. Come on. That's a lie. That's not true. If you truly are a kingdom citizen, you will understand that I operate under the rule and the reign of King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's Jesus. And he's given me keys to that kingdom. I have access to everything under the hood. Amen? Could you? I just feel that there's an anointing that is here today if you have the faith to step into it. And that anointing is to really come into your place as a citizen of the kingdom. But you have to understand, as a citizen of the kingdom, you're taking your will and you're kicking it out of the door. And you're accepting this fact that I want to operate under the will of Jesus. To me, that's so freeing that if I walk hand in hand with Jesus and do what he tells me to do, I will live a good, wonderful life. Not that it won't have its ins and outs and ups and downs, but I will be free and I will know that I know that I know that I know that I have a place in that future kingdom. So if that's you, if you want to walk in that anointing, you want more anointing to be able to do that, because I believe it's coming. But you have to be willing to say, less of me and more of you. Amen? So if that's you, you want more of Jesus and less of yourself, why don't you come on up and we want to pray for you. So let's just take a moment. I love that song, I Speak Jesus. <clears throat> Mario Marillo, they sang that at one of the um, revivals that he was having, crusades down in L.A., and I Speak Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Do you speak Jesus? Do you speak the language of the ancient ones? Do you speak peace into people's lives? Do you speak healing into people's lives? Jesus didn't say, just go pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick. You speak the words of Jesus, you're speaking life. You're speaking truth. You're speaking healing. So, 
just take this moment as Greg just leads us somewhere in worship. Just take this moment and ask God to exchange your funky old heart for his new heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Jesus. Get some leaders up here too. Because I know there is peace within your presence. Jesus. 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 More, Lord. More. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. More. So every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. Thank you, Jesus. I speak to Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. More God. More God. More of you. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn light, fire. More, 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 thank you, Jesus. More, Lord, more. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Light her up, God, light her up. Over fear and all anxiety. More, Lord. More. Every soul held captive by depression. I speak, Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. I know there is peace within your presence.